Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 8. We're going to start in John chapter 8. Tonight's uh, title of the message, Finding Freedom from Condemnation. Finding Freedom from Condemnation. You need to learn some things about this as it relates to our life. Because in relationship to every believer, you will deal with at different times condemnation. You need to understand it. You need to know what it actually means and also how to address it and deal with it in your life. There are things we can do in our life to be totally free from condemnation. And I'll show you why that's so significant. If you live a life walking in an awareness of condemnation, it will cost you in your faith walk. It will hinder your faith walk with God. So we truly need to understand what condemnation is all about, what the Bible teaches about it, and how you, you and I can be free from it. Notice the definitions. You're going to want to kind of look at these several times over uh, after tonight to really kind of get the heart of this, to know what the difference is between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation defined scripturally means bringing attention to. You're bringing attention to sin with judgment and penalty. You're bringing a attention to or an awareness of sin with judgment and penalty. First question, are we to go around and condemn anybody on the planet? No, no because what we would be doing, we would be judging them for their sin to damnation. We don't have that right. God, God's clear about this. Jesus didn't even do it. So we're not here to condemn people. But you hear this phrase all the time, right? Especially in the day you and I live in, when you talk about anything as it relates to individuals with sin. You're condemning me. You're going to find out tonight that's not true if you're not telling them or judging them to the degree to say, I happen to know you're going to hell. You don't know that. You don't know that they won't get born again. And obviously you should want to believe they'll get born again. So you don't know that. So realize condemnation has to do with an attention to sin with included with that judgment and penalty. So what is conviction? So conviction is also bringing attention to your sin, but it is by accepting the forgiveness forgiveness and the deliverance, excuse me, God has. So you're still aware of sin, but the difference is it's a view of accepting the forgiveness God offers and the deliverance from that sin. Amen? So realize this is something you got to get straight in your walk as you walk out on this planet, your your walk with God, because I will promise you, you're going to still see there's going to be things that's going to try to get you in a position to live in a form of condemnation. And therefore, doing what? If you're living in a form of condemnation, you're probably judging yourself in a way you should not, and therefore feeling that you deserve to be punished. That's why a lot of people have that aspect affecting their life of feeling like, well, you know what I did? I, the way they do that is multiple ways. Yeah, God, I don't really deserve for you to do this for me because after all, look what I did. So you, you are literally putting yourself under a place of judgment or punishment to say God should punish you because of what you did. Jesus bore your punishment. Yes. 
Now, listen, condemnation will come. Condemnation actually can come from your heart, as you're going to see. And it also will be, therefore, uh, a conviction that can come from your heart as well. But the condemnation that we're talking about does not come from God uh, to, to those who obviously are now born again under the New Testament. So John chapter 8, I want you to see this. John chapter 8, verse 1. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him, remember this, a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now that statement right there lets you know, these are either peeping toms or somebody in that group was sleeping with her. Caught in the very act. Verse 5, now Moses in the law commanded us that, uh, Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? Now this they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Now you know, I'm going to just emphasize one little thing here about this. There's all kinds of speculation as to what he wrote. I guarantee you what, I believe this more than anything. More I study, the more I learn, the more I develop an understanding of Scripture. I believe it's really simple. If he wrote something that we really obviously knew meant like a context of a phrase or something, he'd have told you what he wrote. I don't believe he wrote anything of a phrase or a sentence or whatever. A lot of people say, well, he was writing down the commandments and these guys saw it and that's what convicted them of their sin. They're not even close enough to him to do that. They're standing afar off. I believe he just sits down, and honestly, one of the few people that I've actually heard say this this as well is Johnny Rowlett. I believe that what Jesus did, instead of just immediately answering them, he took time to actually uh, kneel down to hear from the Father. And therefore, he's just wanting to get an answer from the Father. I don't say anything except what I hear the Father say. I don't, you know, because people could sit here all day long and speculate, what did he write in the ground? If he really did write something, don't you think God would have told you? I really think he was just simply taking time to hear from the Father before he answered him. Now, that, I bring that up for this point. You know what? You shouldn't be so quick to answer people when they talk to you and challenge you about your salvation or about your walk with God or your Christianity. You ought to hear from the Father as what God wants you to say. Notice verse 7. So, when notice they continued asking him. So, they didn't stop. They continued asking him, but then he raised himself up and he said to them, Now, remember, he said, I don't say anything except what I hear the Father say. So he clearly must have heard from the Father what to say. He responds and said, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Whichever one of you has not sinned, go ahead. Be the first one to throw a stone. Notice verse 8. Then again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Because at this point, he's basically done what he needed to do. Now, he just going to let them take time to think about what he said. Verse 9, then those who heard it, notice this, being convicted by by what? Their conscience. They're convicted. They're being convicted by their conscience. Now, what's the conscience? The voice of your spirit. So, obviously, a sinner can be convicted by their spirit. If they couldn't, they could never get born again because they couldn't be convicted of their sin nature. But within every single person, even a sinner, is the ability to be able to receive conviction of wrong from your spirit. So notice again it says, those who heard it being convicted by their conscience, they went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. Because you know, the younger don't think that, you know, they think they're better than everybody, right? 
All the older people are like, yeah, <laughs> I've sinned for sure, man. No doubt. So Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. So when Jesus had raised himself up, he saw no one but the woman. And he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Underline it. Has no one condemned you? Has no one condemned you? Now, condemnation, again, means to bring attention to sin with also the focus of what? Judgment or a penalty to be paid. Judgment or a penalty to be paid. So they walked off. Here they wanted to stone her. Now they're gone. Well, hey, are they not going to sit here and condemn you? Are they not going to say that we need to carry out the penalty of the law for the sin that you committed? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, listen, underline it, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Guess what Jesus isn't going to do? He's not going to condemn you. Guess what Jesus is not going to do for any sinner? She's a sinner. He's not going to condemn them. Meaning that he's not here to bring an awareness of your sin to send you to judgment. It's not always here to do. He is here to bring an awareness of your sin, conviction. To bring you to forgiveness. Come on, somebody. And deliverance. His purpose. So understand this. Is Jesus somebody who revealed sin? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. He's about to talk about that here with her. Yes, he would reveal the fact that what they've done is sin, but his purpose is not to do what? To bring them to a place of judgment or punishment. His purpose of revealing their sin is to do what? Bring them, a place to, bring them to a place of understanding of forgiveness and deliverance. Follow his example. Follow his example. So let's do the balance of what he does. We don't reveal people's sin for the purpose of trying to judge them and punish them. It's not what we're here to do. But for us to ignore sin is to not do what he actually did. You don't walk away from the fact that if a person is in sin, the act they're committing is harmful or hurtful to their life. But the purpose of pointing it out is not to make them feel bad or to punish them, come on, or to judge them. What's the purpose? To show them, do you know that if you'll turn from this, God will forgive you and he'll deliver you from it? That's the purpose. That's the purpose. So a lot of people take this to say, see, I'm not going to condemn anybody. I'm not going to talk about their sin. Love covers a multitude of sin. The phrase love covers a multitude of sin doesn't mean we blind our eyes to it. It doesn't mean that. What it means is, is that we don't make it public. We don't take everybody else's sin. Love doesn't go and take everybody else's sin and tell everybody else about everybody else's sin. So realize you and I, Jesus is love itself. Jesus himself said, I am not going to condemn you. But notice what he does. He does talk about her sin. Look at this again. Neither do I condemn you. Verse 11. Wait a minute. Go and do what? So he did mention it. He brought it up. Why did he say go and sin no more? So you don't keep hurting your life. Because clearly sin is damaging to a person's life. You know, the old statement, uh, Dr. Hicks, you know, used to say it for years and years and years. You know, sin will take you farther when you, than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, keep you, keep you longer than you want to stay, cost you more than you want to pay. So sin is still harmful. So he does actually talk about her sin, but not for the purpose of judgment, for the purpose of deliverance. Go and sin no more. Don't keep doing this. Verse 12, Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world and he who who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So on your notes there, number one, uh, under John 8, 1 through 11, 1a, he who is without sin, Jesus said among you, let him throw a stone at her first. 
What was he doing? Well, he was revealing their sin and saying, if you really have the right to punish somebody, well, guess what? Then you throw the first stone if you obviously don't deserve to be punished for your sin. Well, they all did. So they all got convicted by their sin. 1B in verse 9, notice it is your conscience. It is your conscience that convicts you. So your conscience is the voice of your spirit. But you're going to find out in a minute there is a way that your conscience can also condemn you. Well, my conscience would never condemn you. You're going to find out the Bible says otherwise. Your conscience can condemn you. But there's a way to get free from that. But what we're going to talk about here first is the primary focus of what your spirit man will do if you miss it with God is condemn you. No, convict you. And the conviction is so you'll do what? Turn from that and do what? Go into forgiveness. Thank God. Repent. Thank God for his forgiveness and for his deliverance from that sin. Any amens on that? So the purpose of your conscience convicting you is to do what? Lead you to what? Repentance, forgiveness, and deliverance. 1C, Jesus does not condemn you for he did not come to bring condemnation. So Jesus or God never condemns us. It's not something he does in our life in the New Testament. It's not ever something he's going to... In the Old Testament, he did. In the Old Testament, he did bring an awareness of people's sins and judged them right on the spot. Because if he had not done so, guess what? There would have been no Virgin Mary. There would have never been a remnant still alive on the planet. Jesus is saying now under the New Testament, I didn't come to cause you to be judged. I came now to be able to lift that judgment from off of your life by getting you free from sin. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to go through quite a few verses here over the next few minutes. 1 Timothy chapter 3. So thank God you and I can live a life free from condemnation. But let's talk about some more aspects of how that deals with our life personally and how we actually walk in liberty or freedom from condemnation in our life. In other words, an awareness of sin with the thought that we deserve to be punished. I want you to say that. An awareness of sin with the thought That I deserve to be punished. Now, if you're born again, Jesus bore your punishment. So if you are walking in condemnation, you're either walking in condemnation because of ignorance or sin that you have not totally repented of. If you don't repent from sin, you basically know what you've done is wrong, but yet you don't repent from it. You don't turn from it. You're going to see your heart will condemn you of that. Because it's like you're trying, in essence, get away with something or think you're going to hide something from God, and you'll find out that's not going to happen. So thank God we don't have to live under condemnation. 1 Timothy 3, 6. 1 Timothy 3, 6 here talking about leadership responsibilities, and especially in relationship to an overseer. <clears throat> overseer. This is referring to somebody like myself. But notice the phrase here because we'll get a little nugget out of this about condemnation. In 1 Timothy 3, 6, it says that a leader is not to be a novice. Now, what would a novice be? Well, a novice would be somebody who is basically a brand new baby Christian. They haven't been born again very long, haven't been matured yet, haven't had much maturity yet. Notice this. That person cannot be a novice, lest being puffed up with pride. So beyond the novice statement, what happens if you get puffed up with pride? You'll fall under the same condemnation as the devil. So just eliminate the novice statement for a minute. Look what he said. He's saying a part of what we will experience in the context of condemnation in our life would come from us doing what? Being puffed up with pride. Puffed up with pride. You get puffed up with pride, guess what you're going to feel? You're going to feel condemned. 
And I'm going to show you why. Look at your notes, number two. A novice is one who is puffed up in pride, but being puffed up in pride will also cause us to come under the same condemnation as the devil. Why? The devil's going to be judged. The devil's going to be judged. Why? He hadn't repented. Yet, obviously, and, and therefore can't be forgiven anyway as a fallen angel. But here's the key. What you got to understand what he's saying there is, you don't want to get in pride and in living in pride, therefore, actually be experiencing the feeling of condemnation, guilty for what you've done wrong and that you deserve to be punished. Because pride would say, in essence, to most people, as it relates to their life, I've done nothing wrong. If the Bible says otherwise, you're in pride. You're in pride. But guess what? Pride has two sides. So pride can go above and beyond God's word, but pride can also belittle you below God's word. So if you belittle yourself below what God says you are, are you a child of God? Are you a child of God? Are you a child of God? Are you born of his spirit? Have you been washed by the blood? Then you got to understand when you belittle yourself and you start feeling again that you deserve to be punished because of what you've done, you're still walking in a sense of a form of pride because you're not seeing yourself the way God sees you. If you've repented, you should not be punishing yourself. I'm going to say it again. If you've repented, you should not be punishing yourself. Because if you are, you're belittling yourself below who you really are. The sin came out of the fleshly nature, not your spirit. And therefore, when you repent, you turn from that in the, t- the context of your heart and in the natural, and you walk away from it. Go to Romans 14. Romans 14. Does not the Bible say in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if you confess your sin, God is what? Faithful and just. To do what? Forgive you of your sin. Cleanse you of what? All unrighteousness. So if I believe the Bible, then I'm not going to sit there if I've confessed my sin and continue to punish myself and beat myself up. If you do that, you're living under a form of condemnation, which you should not be, because you're not seeing yourself like God does. So that's going to the opposite side of pride. Not seeing myself the way God does, I would punish myself, because I don't see myself as a child of God, righteous before God, and somebody who's been forgiven of sin. Could I get an amen on that? Romans 14, in Romans chapter 14 here, we're going to go directly to verse 22. Notice this statement here. It says, do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. What's he talking about? So if you back up a little bit here, if you go back here to verse 20, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it's evil for the man who eats with offense. It's good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. You should not be doing things that would cause your brother to stumble into sin or do something that was not right in the sight of God. Next question, do you have faith? Well, what determines if I have faith or not? What determines if I have faith or not? Go to the hall of faith. What determines if I have faith or not? I know what God said, and I'm doing what God said. Right? Said simple. Noah built an ark. Noah knew what God said. And Noah did what? Built an ark. So guess what? Noah could answer that question. Do you have faith? Yes, I do. Why? Because I know what God said. And I'm just doing what God told me to do. A lot of people could come along and try to make Noah feel guilty about building this boat for some crazy unknown reason. But guess what? He had no reason to feel condemned for what he was doing because he had faith. He heard God. He was doing what God told him to do. When you know you hear God in line with the scripture. You listening? 
You got to know it's in line with the scripture. When you know you've heard God, okay, so is it okay to go out and just drink all kinds of, of uh, you know, liquor and stuff and, and, and all types of drink that are filled with, uh, you know, intoxicating drink? No, no, that can literally cause you to be a stumbling block to others as well. But you got to understand, if I know what the Bible says and I know what God's told me in line with that Bible, then, that's, then you answer the question, do you have faith? I do if I know what God said. Because if I know what God said, I'm just doing what God said. And therefore, if you do what God said, read the rest of the verse, then you do what? You have that faith to yourself before God. You don't need to try to prove to anybody else what you're doing is right or wrong if you know you're in line with the Bible. Come on, somebody. If you know in context of doing what you know you're supposed to do in line with the Bible, and therefore you're obeying God, you're walking by faith, you just do it before yourself and God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself. Happy is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves or he knows God has told him to do. So when you know what God's told you to do, don't let other people condemn you for it. Come on. There's people make you feel guilty about going to church. They'll try to, but guaranteed, know this. If you know what God said and I'm just doing what God said, don't worry about them. I said, don't worry about them. Obey the word and don't allow that condemnation to come on you because you're obeying what God told you. Go to John chapter 3. Say, praise the Lord. Now, don't turn around and tell, tell people, God told me to do this, and it's contrary to the Bible, and therefore I'm doing what I know God approves. Not if it's contrary to the Word, it's not. So you've got to make sure you have faith, and the only way you have faith is if you know what God said. Your faith is based totally on one thing. What did God say? John chapter 3, powerful verses we know of, to why, uh, of the reason why Jesus came. John three sixteen. God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not. Say did not. God did not send his son into the world to do what? He didn't come again. He didn't come to condemn the world. Not his, not his, so if he didn't, we should not either. What is condemnation? Let's see if you got it yet. It's an awareness of sin relating to what? Judgment or punishment. You're bringing up somebody's sin with the purpose of trying to make them feel like they deserve to be punished or judged. You're not supposed to do that. God didn't send his son to do that. So again, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Second question, what if I'm talking about somebody's sin with the hope of helping them to see that they truly have the ability to get free from it, that they'll just accept what Jesus did? How are you going to reveal to them to receive what Jesus did without the knowledge of sin? There is no need to repent for anything without the knowledge of sin. Why did God give us the Ten Commandments? <clears throat> Romans 3.10. So we would have the knowledge of a sin nature inside of us. So we got to understand when we use those Ten Commandments like Jesus did. How many times have we taught you on this? Every, Billy Graham was one of the greatest evangelists of all time. Billy Graham never did a salvation message without in some way talking about the Ten Commandments because they reveal the sinner's heart. So the purpose of doing that is not to tell them you're going to be judged for this and you're, guess what? You're being punished right now because of what you're doing. Think of how many sinners have been told God's punishing you right now because of your sin. True or not true? Not true. God didn't come to punish you now for your sin. Jesus came to free you from it. But think of how many, how many of you growing up ever heard somebody tell you, God's punishing you for your sin. Anybody ever tell you that? See, they were lying to you. 
These people were doing something God himself didn't come to do. Aren't you glad that God didn't come to punish you for your sin? He came to free you from it. The focus of God wasn't let's just come punish everybody for all their sin. No, I want to free you from it. So understand when you're talking to a sinner, it, this is what I want you to get. This is what I want you to get. If you're talking to them about their sin, are some sinners going to say you're condemning me? Yes. Yeah, they will. But you got to know what condemnation means. So you say, no, this is how you can explain it to them now. You can say, no, 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 no. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to say God's punishing you because he's not. And I'm not here to say you're going to be punished. I'm here to show you how to get out of the punishment to come. I'm here to help you understand the forgiveness and the deliverance God offers. That's why I'm breaking up your sin. Now the Bible's clear. You're, all, you're going to see it in the next verse. You're already condemned because of your sin. In other words, you're already facing a punishment to come because of that sin nature. Not because of what I said. I'm here to help free you from that. You need to explain that. Can you imagine the difference for a sinner to hear that I'm not here to cause you to actually be punished for your sin or to even feel like you should be? You already feel like you should be because guess what? That's where you're headed. No, I came to change your course. I came to help you get on a pathway of forgiveness and deliverance, not judgment and condemnation. Come on, somebody. Notice again, he says in verse 17, God didn't send his son into the world, condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Saved from what? That sin nature within. 18, he who believes in him is not condemned. Who puts his faith in Jesus is not condemned. Why? You've now been, you passed out of that judgment. He's not condemned. But he who does not believe is what? Tell me. He's condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, verse 19, that the light has come into the world and the men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That just means that's why Jesus came because man so loved the evil deeds they committed that therefore they got in a position because of their sin nature to now face a judgment. But Jesus came to bring a light and shine a light on that and say, guess what? You can come out of that. You don't have to live in that darkness of judgment to come. So this is powerful for a, for a believer to understand when you're witnessing to sinners. Because you got to understand my whole purpose of bringing up your sin is to free you from it. Not to judge you for it. Not to make you feel like you deserve to be punished or that even God's punishing you. You ought to ask a sinner, do you, have you ever been told or do you feel like God's punishing you for the sin that you're committing? Well, yeah, well, he's not. He is not. There is a punishment to come. There is no punishment from God going on the planet right now. Because of what? Because of the salvation of Jesus. Does anybody remember the work that fulfilled this? Propitiation. Propitiation means Jesus bore the punishment our sin deserved and therefore satisfied the wrath of God toward man's sin. So understand, this is powerful in witnessing. That's why I want you to get this point. You got to know this. He did not come to condemn the world, nor should we. How would I actually be condemning a sinner? Not revealing their sin. When I reveal their sin, why do they feel condemned? Why do they feel condemned? If I'm revealing the sin nature to a sinner, why do they feel condemned? Why do they feel condemned? Because they already are. They're already condemned. They're already facing a judgment to come. Me revealing their sin would make an awareness of the fact that their heart knows that obviously this ain't good. But my purpose wasn't for me to cause you to focus on the punishment, but to learn how to get the light in your life to come out of that. Right? They're going to feel condemned already because they are. But I'm not condemning you. 
I'm not here to punish you. I'm here to pull you out. I'm here to show you how to get forgiveness and deliverance. Can I get a better amen? So don't allow sinners or especially Satan to convince you to not talk about the sin nature as it relates to the Ten Commandments, which is what you're supposed to use. And understand that in doing so, some will say they're, that, they're, that you're uh, making them feel condemned. A lot of Christians walk away. A lot of Christians have stopped witnessing for that very reason. Because, well, I won't condemn anybody. Uh, you're not if you obviously are not telling them that you're going to punish them or they deserve to be punished. No, if you're sharing the good news of how to come out of that sin nature, you're not actually doing what the Bible calls as condemnation. Amen. So again, number four, very clearly, understand number four, Jesus did not do what? He did not come into the world to condemn it. He didn't come here to try to get people in a position to feel guilty, therefore, and they're deserving of punishment. He came to free them from that. They're already going to feel that way because they're a sinner. John chapter 5 John chapter, say we're liberators. We are Amen. We are liberators on this planet because we are carriers of Jesus and carriers of the good news. What's the good news? You don't have to be condemned. You don't have to be. John chapter 5. John chapter 5 verse 1. Here we have the gentleman who was healed at the pool of Bethesda. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool which is called in the Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool, stirred up the water, and then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Just for any curiosity seekers, why? We don't know. God didn't tell us. God's God. He can do whatever he wants. Under the new covenant, anybody can get healed just through the word of God. But we don't know why, obviously, God did this. Most believe just to prove that he obviously could still do exactly what he promised, free people from the things that Satan had them bound. Verse 5, a certain man was there who had an infirmity. How long? How long? Come on, how long? Doesn't matter how long you've had something. You get Jesus revealed on the scene, it can change. Verse 6, Jesus, when he saw him lying there, he knew that he'd already been there in that condition a long time. He said to him, do you want to be made well? Now, why would he ask that? Didn't it, wouldn't it be pretty obvious? Seriously. The guy's lame. He can't walk. It'd be pretty obvious. He can tell. I mean, how many of you know people have been lame for 38 years? What do you think his legs look like? They're skin and bones. I mean, there's no muscle left on these, on these legs. He can't use them. It's pretty obvious he's lame. He can't walk. So why does Jesus ask this question? Do you want to be made well? Why? Why does he ask this question? I'm going to tell you why. Because it takes faith. It takes faith. He's got to draw faith out of this gentleman to receive what he wants to do for him to heal his body. That's why Jesus even asked the blind man, what do you want me to do for you? Because he has to have faith in operation for it to work. Verse 7, the sick man answered him, sir... I have no man to put me into the pool when the water's stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Eight, Jesus said to him, do what? Rise. <clears throat> Rise, take up your bed and walk. Guess what he found out? He wants to be well. Right. So much so, this guy's dragging himself towards the pool when the water's stirred. He just can't get there before anybody else. And he has been there a long time. That proved this man wants to be well. Verse 9, immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed and he walked. And that day was the Sabbath. 
That was a Saturday, the Sabbath. The Jews, therefore, so taking up his bed and walking in the eyes of the Jews was actually doing work. <clears throat> How ridiculous to think picking up your bed, taking it home was a form of work. <clears throat> but anything to them that they wanted to label as a type of work beyond even what God said they would take advantage of just to control the people. 10, the Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, he who made me well said to me, who do you think you're going to obey? He who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, who is the man who said to you to take up your bed and walk? 13, but the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. 14, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple, and he said to him, See, you have been made well. Watch this. Sin no more. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So sin no more, that lest a worse thing come upon you. Meaning what? That now is he condemning him? God punished you. This is why you've been this way. No, God's not punishing you. But you don't want to continue in sin because it can give Satan opportunity to take advantage of your life. To deceive you, to hinder you in walking with God. So don't keep doing so. Number six, if you make, uh, excuse me, number uh, five, go and sin no more, Jesus said, lest something worse happen to you. So once again, Jesus is not in quote unquote, he is not endorsing sin and saying it's no big deal. No, he's saying it's still detrimental. It's still harmful. Can you see the balance of what we're trying to see here? The balance is, okay, so you don't want to keep sinning, but I'm not here revealing your sin so that you can be punished for it. Just don't keep doing it because, again, you can give Satan opportunity and have even worse happen to you. Romans 13, Romans 13, in essence, we know, according to you know, John 10, 10, who comes to steal, kill, and destroy? Right. Who is it that actually had taken him of his health and his body where he was lame? That was the work of the fall, all back to Satan. Thank God Jesus came to, to correct it and get it fixed. Romans 13... Romans 13, verse 14. I love this verse. But put on the Lord Jesus. Say that with me. Put on the Lord Jesus. Notice this. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Make no provision. Yeah. No foreplanning to allow the flesh to do whatever it wants. You know, if you are obviously going to go on a long trip, you make provision. If you go with my wife, Kathy, you're going to have a snack bag that's going to be provision for the trip. Nothing wrong with that. But what he's saying is, what he, because I'm, I'm just trying to use the example, you prepare ahead of time. Make no provision means you don't prepare it. You don't do things that are going to allow your flesh to go a direction it shouldn't go. But you should not be taking the time to actually doing things that you know can lead you down a pathway to let your flesh do whatever it wants. Amen? So make no provision. Again, very clearly, make no, you're to put on Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to do what? Fulfill its lust. Number six, if you make no provision for the flesh, then you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 6a, guess what? If you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, then you will stay what? Now, let me show you why that, why that is so important. Why is that so important as it relates to condemnation, Pastor? Good question. Back up in the same letter to Romans 8. Let's look, let's look at what he said before he got there. Before he got to Romans 13, 
What did he say about this back here in Romans chapter 8? If we make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust, guess what you're going to find out? You're going to find out you're going to get a whole lot more free from condemnation. Because if you're not making any provision for the flesh and you're living spiritual, then you're not going to allow condemnation to even begin to take place in your life. Watch this. Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now many, many Greek scholars tell us, and if you study the Bible, you may know this, there's actually a little reference right here next to the phrase, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. If you have a center column reference Bible, it will tell you in many of the strictest of the translations of the Greek language of the New Testament, that phrase isn't in there. That it actually just says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But it's referred to. Whatever English translator at some point probably added that to the text, they did so because of the following verses. Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The law, the rule. The word law here is the rule. When you're ruled by the spirit of life, your spirit man within you, you're free from what? You're free from the rule of sin and death. Meaning what? Rule the flesh. You've now put on Christ, in other words. Verse 3, for what the law could not do and that it was weak to the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned what? He judged sin in the flesh. He dealt with it. Four, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So almost every Greek scholar believes whatever English translator added in verse 1, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, they put it in there because of verse 4. Because it's right there in verse 4. If you read verse 4 again, it says the righteous requirement of the law has been fulfilled. What was needed to make us right with God has already been fulfilled. Say, that's already done. But look at the rest of the verse. For those of us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the... As a born-again believer, you can still walk according to the flesh. How? Making provision. For the flesh. What if you make no provision for the flesh? You're not going to walk according to the flesh. You're going to walk according to the Spirit. If I'm walking according to the Spirit, am I ever going to do something that's going to obviously be in the eyes of God sinful or wrong? No. So why would you ever be condemned? You won't because you won't ever even deal with the sin to begin with. You're not going to walk under the rule of the Spirit and then do something sinful. If you walk under the rule of the Spirit, condemnation doesn't have a chance. Because the only way condemnation comes, as it relates to me and you, is if we sin or if we are hiding willful sin that we are not acknowledging to God and repenting of. Then you're going to feel condemned. If you sin, you could still feel condemned. But clearly the only reason you would is because the enemy's trying to make you feel bad about what you did and you deserve to be punished. But what's your answer to that condemnation? Nope. I have already been forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Come on. I've repented of that sin. God forgave me. 
Right? Because when you hear a context of the voices of anybody in relationship to what's speaking in your life saying, well, I'll tell you why this probably didn't work out for you. And I'll tell you why you didn't get healed. And I'll tell you why God couldn't bless you. And I'll tell you why God couldn't get this for you, get that for you, or do this. You know how many Christians, now serious, you may already know this, but I guarantee you some of this room probably don't. But you need to learn this for others. This is critical because what hinders a lot of people's faith is they believe because of what they've done wrong, God's not going to bless them. He's going to punish them. You listening? But if I've confessed that sin, he's not only forgiven me, he's cleansed me of the feeling of unrighteousness as a believer. Correct? So is he going to punish me at all? No, he's not because Jesus bore that punishment. What if I don't repent of my sin as a believer? Will God punish me under the New Testament? Not until the punishment time comes if you harden your heart and turn from God. Jesus already bore the punishment. So understand what he's saying here. Go back to verse 1. There is therefore now, say now, now. watch this. So that would be the, in the immediate time frame where you're at right now as you're living. Context of today, context of this evening, 823 in the evening. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who at this moment are not what? They're not walking according to the flesh. They're walking according to the Spirit. So if you obviously have ever in the context of this day sinned and you've repented of that sin, is it forgiven? Yeah, if you ask God to forgive you, it's done with. Isn't that right? So therefore, I am not walking under the rulership of the flesh any longer. I've repented of what I did wrong. No condemnation. No condemnation. So this tells me also, I'm going to feel condemned again if I have what? If I have sin that I've not turned away from. If I have sin that I know. Come on. Don't, don't allow Satan to make you think, well, but I'm feeling condemned. I must have done something wrong. Let me help you. If you did something wrong, your spirit will know it. It'll reveal it to you. Your Holy, the Holy Spirit will. I mean, it's not be that hard to figure out what you did wrong. Don't let the devil take you down a rabbit hole trail of total condemnation, making you think, I must have done something wrong. I'll guarantee you what, maybe you didn't. Maybe you didn't. But as a young baby believer, I used to think the reason I'm not healed is because I must have done something wrong. Ever been there? Guess not. Guess just me. I, I thought of times in my life where God hasn't blessed me because I must have done something wrong. I surely must have done something wrong or I'd have been healed by now. Or I'd have been blessed by now. But the truth is, Jesus already gave me all those things because of the blood, not because of what I have or haven't done. If it comes down to what I have or haven't done, guess what? Then you didn't need Jesus to come. Tell your neighbor he's preaching better than you amen and now. See, you're not going to earn anything from God. But you see the balance in all of this? We don't earn anything from God, but if we have unconfessed sin, you're going to see now in just a moment your heart will condemn you, and it will hinder your faith. It won't, listen, God's not punishing you. It's hindering your ability to believe in what Jesus already did. You understand that? But you don't realize how many people are streaming right now and how many young believers in their life still to this day believe, well, I'm where I'm at because evidently I've done so wrong in the sight of God, he can't bless me. Let me help you. If you're born again, you're already blessed. One of the stupidest prayers you could ever pray for anybody is God bless them. Can you pray for me to be blessed? No. Are you born again? Yeah. I'm not praying for you to be blessed. Why? God said you already are. Why would I pray for something God says you already are? He's already blessed you with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Why would I pray for something he's already done? Uh, Brother Hagin was one of the only ones that opened my eyes up to this truth. He said, it's amazing how many prayer requests we get at our ministry when he was still on the planet, people asking us to bless him. I had to teach our prayer ministers, stop praying for God to bless him. 
Ask them if they're born again. If they're not, then you need to talk to them about salvation. But if they're born again, you need to tell them, I'm not praying for you to be blessed. You know what I'm going to pray? What do you pray for somebody who is a believer who's asking you to pray for them to be blessed? What would you pray for that person? How would you pray for them? Do what? Say it again. Yeah, they would see it. You got a verse for this? Ephesians chapter 1. This is the prayers that you pray beginning in verse 18. God, open the eyes of their understanding. Help them to be enlightened, to see the riches of the glory of their inheritance. They don't see it yet. They don't see it yet. Don't pray for them to get blessed. They already are. They need to see it. They need to see that. They need to have their eyes open to it. That's how you biblically pray for believers. That was a prayer for believers in Ephesus. That clearly ever didn't understand the power they had, the blessings they had. Come on, their position in God. So what is Paul, uh, what's Paul praying there? He's not praying, God bless them. No, he's not praying, God bring the power down now, just send the power right now. No, he's not praying any of that. He's saying, open their eyes up to what they already got. So this is also something we need to get people's eyes opened up to as a believer. God is not punishing you. You are not, quote-unquote, not getting healed because of something you did or didn't do. God's now mad at you, so he's not going to heal you. God's not going to bless you because of what you did or didn't do. You want to know why you're not walking those things? Because you either don't know you already have them, or you don't know how to exercise faith in the one whose blood was shed for you. Come on, what do we sing tonight? What do we sing tonight? About the blood. That that blood should never lose its power for you. That blood is what accomplished everything that needed to be done for you to receive from God. What's one of the key ways that the devil hinders believers? You may not be one of them, but you're coming across them all the time. And you don't realize it. What's one of the number one things that Satan uses in people's lives to hinder believers from receiving from God? Condemnation. Now, if they're feeling condemned, what are they feeling? What's condemnation? What's condemnation? They're feeling they deserve to be punished. Because of what I've done wrong, okay, so maybe they did sin, obviously. I deserve to be punished. Now, I'm going to tell you what. I've had people even in my life as a young believer who have prayed to God, God, I must have done something wrong, so please show me so you'll bless me. <laughs> I mean, again, come on, man. This is the enemy trying to get you to take your eyes off of what really matters. What really matters? The blood of Jesus. Come on. What really needs to be your focus? The blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. If you're even concerned about any unconfessed sin, how hard is it to just say, Father, for anything I may have done that I'm unaware of, I don't want to live in sin. I confess to you I don't want to live in sin. I repent of any wrong sin in Jesus' name, and I'm forgiven. But not repenting doesn't hinder God. It's your faith that gets hindered, and that's what hinders God. You got to get that. I said, you got to get that. The reason God can't bless people who are living in sin is because they clearly aren't going to have the faith to believe him for it. And they're going the wrong direction. They're walking away from God, not towards God. Sin directs you away from him. So again, look at this very important truth. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Uh, on our notes, number 7. You can eliminate condemnation from your life if you just simply do what? Don't walk after the flesh. If you don't walk after the flesh, give. The, the more that you can live your life, turn your notes on the back of the page, last set of verses there. The more, more you can live your life by not making provision for the flesh, as we're about to see in this final verse. 
The more you can do that, the more you're going to walk under the rulership of the Spirit. If you're walking under the rulership of the Spirit, I know I'm saying a lot really fast here, but these are really important quick lessons. If I'm walking under the rulership of the Spirit, what am I not doing? I'm not walking in sin. Because the Spirit's not going to lead me to do that. So if I'm not, guess what? I'm not going to even deal with condemnation. So one of the ways you can eliminate condemnation from your life and in a context of much of your life, choose to live by the leading of the Spirit, walk under the rule of your spirit man, and therefore you won't do what? You won't walk in the flesh. If you don't walk in the flesh, you got nothing to be condemned about. Because you haven't obviously given into the flesh and allowed sin to take advantage of you. First John. So let's look at it. First John chapter 3. Are you being helped at all tonight? First John chapter 3. I want you to see this, verse 20. Verse John 3, verse 20 through 22. And again, I don't care how much you may know this, you need to help others with this. I can't tell you how many people, I know, I know as I've been preaching this, the Holy Spirit's been speaking to me, you got multiple people listening right now, they need to hear this. You got other people need to hear it, and they're not, but they should, because I guarantee there's a whole lot of Christians still who think I'm punishing them, and I'm not. Because of, because of propitiation, Jesus dealt with that. Aren't you glad? 1 John 3.20, for if our heart condemns us. Oh, see, our heart can condemn us. Our heart can condemn us. This is talking to believers. So our heart will convict us. I'm going to show you the difference of, what, of why your heart would be condemning you as opposed to your heart convicting you. I'm going to show you the difference here. Some of you may be for the first time. Does your heart convict you of sin? Yeah. Conviction isn't a feeling of acknowledgement of sin with the guilt to be punished, is it? No, conviction is doing what? Leading you to forgiveness and deliverance. Yeah, amen. So watch this again. If our heart condemns us, watch this. God is what? Greater than our heart and knows all things. Yeah. Now that phrase is significant to what's being revealed here. Mm-hmm. See, why does he say that? Why does he say if my heart condemns me, God's greater than my heart and knows all things? Yes. Why does he say that? Because what he's referring to here is people who think as they're living in willful sin, they're hiding something from God. Or God doesn't know about it. Or they're keeping it from God. No, God knows all things. God knows all things. If you're living in willful sin, choosing not to repent, and you think God doesn't care or God doesn't know, you're wrong. He does know and he does care. Is he punishing you for that? Nope. Not at all. But you're simply doing what? You're allowing that sinful life that you won't repent from to affect you in a way as a believer, thinking somehow you're hiding it from God, I'll guarantee you what, all you're going to do is you're going to condemn your own, your own heart as a believer is going to condemn you for your lifestyle and what you're doing. Read it on. Read it on, read on again. Verse 20. If our heart condemns us, God's greater because he knows all things. 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have what? What do we have? Tell me out loud. What do we have? So in these set of verses, how is it that we don't have, don't have, how is it we don't, we're, we're our heart, what do we do to have our heart not condemn us? Don't have any form of unconfessed sin thinking you're hiding it from God. Condemnation comes two ways. You've sinned and you know it and you haven't repented yet. So oftentimes you may begin to feel like you need to be judged. But you don't need to look at it that way. You need to look at it from a standpoint of conviction. Amen? Amen? That the reason I'm having my sin revealed to me is not to feel condemned, but to do what? To repent and get free from it. Yes. Not to be judged for it. Right. But again, he says clearly here in verse 21, if our heart does not condemn us, what do we have? Confidence. What do we have? 
So your faith is at work. Your faith is working. Your faith is working in what the blood of Jesus did for you. Now, why would you obviously in this verse feel that you now have confidence towards God? Because my heart's not condemning me. Well, why in this set of verses would your heart not be condemning you? Because I'm not trying to hide anything from God. I'm not trying to hide some sin of mine. You listening? I'm bringing it to him for the purpose of what? Getting delivered. Quit trying to run from God with sin. All you're doing is causing yourself to live in condemnation and hinder your faith in God. It's not God punishing you. You're really punishing yourself. Go to God. He's the one that can help do what? Free you and deliver you. Well, I've tried. Well, who said quit? Right. Don't quit. Keep going. Keep going back. Keep going back. Keep going back. Amen. Watch verse 22. Whatever we ask, then we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are what? So that simply means that you and I know if we are not hiding sin from God, then we are doing that which is pleasing in his sight. The whole context here is if you're hiding stuff from God, you're not doing that which is pleasing to him. He already knows about it. But if you're not hiding sin from God or you think you are, if you're not doing that intentionally, then guess what? You're doing what's right on the side of God. Because if you're not trying to hide it from God, what are you doing when you sin? You're repenting. And therefore, you are doing what is the will of God. And therefore, you know you can receive from God. Read it again. That's the context. Read it. That you got to keep all this in context. And ties back to what he said in the previous two verses. Verse 22. Whatever we ask, we receive from him. Why? Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So if I am walking in the light of what is his command for me, which means I walk in love and I receive his love for me, I'm not trying to hide anything from God. I get a better amen. amen. And therefore, I repent of any wrongful sin. Yeah. Number eight, if you allow your heart to condemn you, then you will do what? You'll lose your confidence in God. Eight, eight, if we allow secret sin, which is not secret. Right. We think it is sometimes, but it's not. If we allow secret sin, we will feel what? Condemned. Absolutely. You'll feel condemned. For we're not walking in the spirit as we should. This will hinder our confidence in God. Eight, yeah. B, repent of what? Repent of all sin and receive the forgiveness that you have in Christ Jesus. So anytime I feel convicted about sin, that is my spirit dealing with me of a wrong that I've done that I'm not trying to hide from God. I know I've done wrong. I'm not trying to hide it. I know he knows it. But what I also got to make sure I don't do, I got to make sure I don't allow the devil now to make me feel condemned that I need to be punished for what I've done wrong. What should you do? Exactly what the Bible said. Run to God. Fess up. I confess, Father, and come with a heart to receive what? Forgiveness and deliverance. Forgiveness. You know one of the best things you can do with something you're dealing with that might be a stronghold in your life? You keep asking God, help me to be delivered. I know Jesus already provided the deliverance, but help me to do whatever I need to do to walk in the liberty of that deliverance for my life. Some of it could just be initially starting off and doing what faith tells you to do. Start declaring I'm free from it. Can I get a better amen? Amen. I like the story that Keith Moore talked about as it related to a person who was a smoker in his church and they knew that God couldn't you know, continue to uh, uh, safeguard them from Satan in the context of, of cancer because they're sticking a cancer stick in their mouth. And so they're allowing Satan to have opportunity. And so he came to Brother Keith and he said, uh, he said man, I want to be free from these things, but I just don't know what to do. 
And Brother Keith later admitted, he said, I didn't like think this up in my head. I didn't realize until after I told him it was the Holy Spirit. And so he said, this just came up in my spirit. He said, I'll tell you what you do. Every time you light up, you take a cigarette. When you light it up and you say, I'm delivered. You speak to that cigarette. I'm delivered from you. Yeah, that's right. He kept saying, I can't get free. The guy said, I can't get free. I can't get free. He said, every time you light it up, you look at that series and say, I'm delivered of you. I'm free from you in Jesus' name. I'm delivered from you. I'm free. Every time you take a puff on one, I'm delivered for you. I'm, what? That's hypocritical. Nope. You're doing exactly what the Bible said. You're calling that which is not as though it were. And several weeks later, he come back into church. He said, Brother Keith, I got to tell you something. He said, you're not going to believe it. He said, oh, I'll believe it. He said, I'm free, man. He said, all of a sudden, I woke up one morning, didn't want him anymore. Didn't want him anymore. But understand this about condemnation. Condemnation, number one, to get free from condemnation, the more I walk under the leading of the Spirit, I'm not going to walk in sin. The less I'll deal with condemnation. Walk under the rule of the Spirit. You're not going to be affected by your flesh. You'll have nothing to be condemned about. Two, when I do sin, i got to remind myself, God's not punishing me for my sin. Say it, God is not not punishing me for my sin. He is not, or Jesus bore your your punishment in vain. He's not punishing for your sin. So don't fall for the lie that you are being punished for your sin for what you've done wrong. No. What are you supposed to do? Fess up. 1 John 1, 9, confess your sin to God. That was sin, Father. That was wrong. That was missing the mark. I'm sorry. I repent. In Jesus' name, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for cleansing me. Amen. Of all unrighteousness. Can I get a better amen? So in the context of condemnation, walk under the Spirit. You won't deal with the flesh. Where the flesh does all of a sudden stick its ugly little head out, Recognize that you don't need to feel uh, like you deserve to be punished or that God's punishing you. Do what? Confess your sin and remind yourself, I'm forgiven. Not only that, God's not punishing me for this. And then finally, last but not least, don't sit here with unconfessed sin or think you're hiding something from God. Because I'll guarantee you, if you're born again, your heart will condemn you. Because clearly, you're not doing what you need to do to be able to get the deliverance that God provided. And in doing so, you're going to still feel like God's punishing you when he's not. Are you still here? Amen. So you and I, thank God, can find freedom from condemnation. Aren't you glad? We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.